Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Thanks for allowing us to share this time with you. Honestly, it's our favorite time of the day where we get to hang out together and talk about how the truth of God's Word can make a huge difference in your life. And that's what we're going to hear from Richard in a way that only he can do with words of hope, insight, and humor. You may be stuck in traffic or stuck in life. Either way, today's message is going to help get you on the right track as you learn how much God loves you right where you are. So let's get right into today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Grubbing. I started pastoring a church when I was 20 years old. I was ordained and ended up in a little country church. And there's something about being out in the country. You learn all kinds of things, some stuff you don't even think you'll ever need. But there was a thing that they taught me out there. And where I was was Cedar Creek, Texas. And there were a lot of mesquite trees out where I was. And one day an old farmer explained to me that back in the day, and they do it differently now, but back in the day, the only way to get rid of mesquite trees, and when they show up and they take off, they're almost impossible to get rid of. And if you're going to plant crops or anything or just want them gone, you have to grub them out. And whether this is, you know, I'm just telling you the way it was, he said that they would get at least 100 Mexicans because nobody else would do the work. And a lot of times they were illegals and they would send them into a field and the Mexican men would literally dig down into the ground around the roots and they had to make sure they got all of the roots out. You couldn't just chop the mesquite down because it would come back. You had to go all the way into the ground and make sure that all of those roots were gone or you had not gotten rid of mesquite. Now they take big cats, big caterpillars with giant claws on the back of them. That caterpillar will get out in a field and drive that thing down and they will just pull it through the ground and drag mesquite tree, anything that's down there gets pulled out. But if you don't get all the root, if you don't grub it all out, it's coming back. Now, here's what I'd like to talk to you about today. There are a lot of times in sitting down with people, you say, well, this looks like the problem. And you listen to them, you talk to them, you say, well, yeah, we've identified the problem and let's deal with the problem. More times than not, if you don't grub the situation, if you don't get down into the root causes of the deal, you are not going to deal with anything. It's going to come back. You may deal with it for a little while, but if you don't get to the core of it, to the root of the problem, you're just going to have trouble down the road somewhere. And it's not always pleasant. It's not always fun. It takes some time to do it. But if you'll keep tracking back and find out where did this come from, if you see someone who's really unhappy, for instance, or bitter, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, just unforgiveness, you say, well, they're just a mean person. Well, no, where does that come from? Somewhere down inside of them in the root system of their life, something is taking hold and the fruit of their life is coming out of the root of their life. And whatever's down there, you're going to see and whatever's in your life, you're going to see. Now, I want to start with you in Jeremiah chapter one. I want to read you something that God said to Jeremiah when he got started that was a big part of what he was and what he was to do. Jeremiah one, let's start with verse four. Then the word of the Lord came to me, this is to Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. And I love this little phrase in verse 8. Do not be afraid of their faces, 
for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. And then look what he's to do. To root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Now, whether I like this or not, and if you're involved in any kind of ministry, the purpose of the church and leadership, elders, any leadership in a church, our job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And as you are trained and as that happens, sooner or later, you are literally going to come face to face with somebody who needs to know not what you think, what your new idea is. They need to know what God says, and it's not going to be pretty necessarily in that exchange. And there are times in conversations and I confront somebody or approach somebody and it's not from a, hey, I got it all figured out, you're screwed up, you need my help. I got my own trouble and I got people coming to me. But when you look at someone and you say to them, look, this stuff's got to get out of your life. It's not going to be pleasant, especially if that person doesn't want to get that stuff out of their life. They come in and say, well, no, no, help me with this little thing on the surface. I say, you know what? That's the fruit hanging on the tree. This tree of yours is going to keep producing this mess if you don't grub these roots out and get it all gone. It is consuming your life. So Jeremiah was given the task to root out, pull down, destroy, to throw down, and then to build and to plant. And it's one thing to just go wrecking through somebody's life and saying, you're going to hell. You know, there's all kind of people waving Bibles and wagging fingers and telling people what's, you know what? Okay, great. I feel like hell. I think I am going to hell. Help me. Love me enough to tell me what do I got to do to change? Don't just throw me down. Give me some hope. Tell me what works for you. Tell me how I cannot go to hell if you think I'm going to hell. And then help people move to a new place, get a new start, a fresh start, a clean slate, and take it forward, not just sit. You know, why would anybody go to church just to hear they're going to hell? Tell me how I can get to heaven and how you people are going to help me live this life that obviously I can't live by myself. 1 Timothy chapter 6, New Testament. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 and following. Now, this is going to be one of those you say, oh, well, he's reading one. I already know this one. You know what? It's not about what you already know. It's about what you're doing with what you know. Okay? So listen close. Let's go through it because you might even learn something. I did reading it again. 1 Timothy 6, 6. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. And I've said this through the years, and I know everybody gets tired of hearing this, and I've had people argue with me. If you got food and clothing, keep your mouth shut. Oh, God needs to give me this and my car and my house. You know, you can't find a verse in the Bible to back any of that mess up. You got food and clothing, you can be content. Now, is it nice to have all that stuff? Do I enjoy it? Am I grateful? Absolutely. But at some point, we've got to get content with what he said to get content with, or we're going to have trouble. Food and clothing. I didn't make this up. I just work here. It's right here in the Bible. Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. So he explains all this. Is it sinful to be rich? That's not the point. If you work hard and God blesses you, great. But if you lock in and say, I am going to be rich, that's the deal at any cost. 
I don't care what God says, that's what I'm going to be is rich. You may end up rich, but you may end up pretty poor in some major areas. And when you start chasing that, you fall into harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Then look at verse 10. And this is the, one of the most misquoted scriptures in all of the Bible. What does everybody say? Money is the root of all evil. The Bible never says that. Money is not the root of all evil or all kind of evil things. Look what it says, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's when you take money and begin to love it and chase it and pursue it and have to have it. The love of money is the root of all kind of evils for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now let's go back up to verse 10 and look at what he says here. If there's evil that you see some kind of evil, then what you say is, well, if evil is the fruit on the tree, what is the root of the tree? The scripture says that the love of money is the root of all kind of evil stuff. So there is a lot of stuff in the world, and I think we'd all agree on this, but when you look at it, you say, well, that's the evil, but what is it coming out of? The root of that evil is the love of money. If you decide it's money you gotta have instead of being content, then all kind of evil comes out of that love. Proverbs 12.3 says, A man is not established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous cannot be moved. There's a phrase maybe you've heard through the years called money grubbing, and it simply means greedily concerned with making money, grasping your whole focus is, I'm going to make money. I don't care what it does to my family. I don't care what it does to my relationship with God. But when I'm done, I will be rich and you may be alone and rich. Look on down to verse 17. He keeps talking about this, and I love that he follows this up with this because he says in verse 17, 1 Timothy 6, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Now, if you're rich, what do you do? He said, command those who are rich in this present, don't be haughty, don't think you're better than somebody just because you got cash, nor to trust in uncertain riches. And even if you do have money, they're so uncertain. They can be here today, gone tomorrow. You may be worth a bunch on paper. Think nothing could ever happen. I'm set forever. You know what? God can come after you and do whatever he wants. Don't trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So he even tells the rich how to live, and he tells us all how to approach riches or trying to get rich and not to let the love of money, which becomes this root system of all kind of evil stuff. And it may look good. You say, oh, well, that person's so kind and they give money to charity. You know what? But that money may be coming out of an evil root system. And to appease themselves in God, they think, oh, I'll throw a little money at a charity or at a church and that'll make it all okay. It doesn't give you peace in your heart and it doesn't make it right. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. You say, well, my deal's not money. Well, we may catch you on this one then. Hebrews chapter 12. Now, what I'm going to talk to you about in terms of the root of this situation and where it can go to bitterness or holiness, there's a fork in the road, and I'm going to just say it out loud, and then we're going to read it. You better be careful bucking God. When he comes after you and says, 
We're going out the woodshed. You better thank God he's taking you out there. Take your licks, praise him, love him, realize he loves you, and go with it. Because if you say, absolutely not, I'm going to run from this, you can't make me do anything, you are going to get angry, lock up like a kid locks up with a parent and says, I hate you. How could they hate you? You're just loving them, trying to help them. Now, if you're doing things to make them hate you, that's one thing. But if you're just disciplining and caring about them and trying to help them, how could they hate you? Because they don't understand. They don't trust you. They don't realize, I'm not doing this because it's fun. God doesn't get any delight out of whooping his kids. But if he doesn't, it means that you're not his kid. The context of Hebrews 12 is running this race with endurance that God has given you. And and in that race, you're going to screw up and God's going to discipline you. Verse four, he was striving against sin. Jesus strove against sin, you know, resisting bloodshed. I mean, it was an extreme thing. We haven't gone to that point. Verse seven, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. If you submit to the discipline, it means God loves you. He's treating you like his child. All right, let's keep reading after that. Verse seven. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, and then look at this phrase, that we might be partakers of his holiness. What God is after is not just you behaving, he wants us holy. He wants us pure. He doesn't want to just make you do the right thing because it's the right thing. He wants you to do the right thing from your heart. He wants you to be willing to obey and understand why it is so important to trust him and obey and not run away and do the wrong thing. He wants you holy. Verse 11, now no chastening seems to be joyous for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Then look at verse 12. Therefore... All that being said, if you agree with that, you trust that, because that is true, that God is on your side, and when you get out of bounds, he is going to bring things along, circumstances. It could be physical. It could be economic. It's anything it takes, and he knows each of us to get us back on track to listen to him and obey him. Therefore, you know that's why he's doing it, then strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that which is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Get a grip. Don't mope around and just, oh, woe is me, and God's not on my side, and he's trying to hurt me and take all these good things away from me, and he hates me. That sounds like a teenager. He says, you know what? Lift up your hands and hang down. Get some strength back in yourself and say, you know what? That's not right. God is for me. He has let this happen. I don't need to be saying, oh, God, why me? I need to be saying, God, thank you that this proves that you love me enough. Don't let me miss what you're trying to teach me. So we have to go through this again. The way my dad disciplined me growing up, you didn't want to go back for any more of it. I'm telling you. I got a six foot nine dad that weighed, you know, 250 plus. You didn't want to go back there ever again. He made it loud and clear. He communicated, you do this, this happens. And God comes along and says, you do this, there is consequence, I'm going to teach you. And we say, oh, whatever, I can do what I want to. He's not serious. That's just words in the Bible. Now look back at your life. Look back at my life. 
And God comes along gently and says, okay, Richard, let's do this. And I say, okay, I'll think about that. He says, really, you're going to think about that. Oh, you're going to think about it, all right. And here comes some consequence. And I go, oh, wow, what was that? Why did you hit me? Why are you spanking me? Ah, I'm screaming and complaining. And he says, okay, well, maybe you got it. A few more days, yards, you know, just minutes later, I'm back doing the same thing. And bam, here he comes again with something. And some of us are just stupid. I can't give you any other explanation for my stuff. I must be stupid because I do something. He corrects me. I do it again. He corrects me. And I think God goes, you know what? I got time. And I love you, and I'm not going away. I'm going to increase this, and I can think of specific people right now who are getting worn out, and words are not doing it anymore. Grounding is not doing it anymore. It's escalated, and it is extremely painful. And they're under this and going, I can't take it anymore. I'm saying, you know what? Maybe you should have said that years ago, but let's thank God he's still after you and yield. Say yes, sir. Say no, sir. Say, I finally figured it out. But don't get angry with God for loving you. And what happens when you take a dip on this and God comes after you and you start screaming at him and I hate you and getting mad, now what you develop, as we'll read here in a minute, is a bitter root. And you get bitter and angry towards God. And then everything in your life bears fruit out of that. And then that gets in a church and you're a complainer. And you're angry and you're bitter and nothing's right and everything's wrong and God's not doing this right and you infect the whole body. Well, let's just read it. It's in here. Hebrews 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all peoples and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person. And fornicator, by the way, is somebody sleeping with people they're not married to. Not that anybody didn't know that, but it's always nice to explain that. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Now, here's what we do. God comes along and says, this is my best for you. And you say, you know what, God, that looks pretty good. But boy, the devil's offered me something. It's sweet. You know, it's too good, God. So I'm trading all you got for me in for this one moment of pleasure. I'm cashing in now. And God says, okay, but the hammer's going to drop. And then later, when you get past that one moment of pleasure, that one thing you couldn't live without, and God's been saying, let it go, let it go, let it go. Don't trade in my everything for this silly little thing. Then later, we realize what we've done, and God says, okay, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to take you back, but it's too late. The thing that Christians don't ever realize is that God will always take you back. He will always love you. He will always forgive you, but you cannot undo this mess. Now, sometimes it works out for good and, and people come around, but there are some things, there is debris in the Christian life, there is consequence behind us all, and that is part of the discipline of God where he says, okay, we got the past to look at, we got what I'm telling you right now, the discipline I've already brought into your life, have you had enough, will you not obey me? And pretty soon you think we would just go, absolutely, yes, sir. Why would I trade all of this in? You've been so merciful, so gracious. 
Or we go the other way and we get bitter. And how many bitter Christians are there that didn't get, that didn't trust, that didn't understand that God was on their side trying to get their attention. He's not trying to harm you. He's trying to help you. Let me read you something out of my utmost for his highest. A guy named Oswald Chambers wrote this years ago. And this happens to be a selection from uh, October the 8th in this little book. Now listen to this. The verse that he's using here is, Come unto me, a little phrase in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me. Is it not humiliating to be told that we must come to Jesus? Think of the things we will not come to Jesus about. If you want to know how real you are, test yourself by these words. Come unto me. In every degree in which you are not real, you will dispute rather than come. You will quibble rather than come. You will go through sorrow rather than come. You will do anything rather than come to the last lap of unutterable foolishness, just as I am. As long as you have the tiniest bit of spiritual impertinence, it will always reveal itself in the fact that you are expecting God to tell you to do a big thing, and all he is telling you to do is to come. Come unto me. When you hear these words, you will know that something must happen in you before you can come. The Holy Spirit will show you what you have to do. Anything at all that will put the axe at the root of the thing which is preventing you from getting through, you will never get further until you are willing to do that one thing. Now let me go back and read that again. You will never get further until you are willing to do that one thing. The Holy Spirit will locate the one impregnable thing in you, but he cannot budge it unless you are willing to let him. How often have you come to God with your requests and gone away with the feeling, oh, well, I've done that this time, and yet you go away with nothing, whilst all the time God has stood with outstretched hands not only to take you, but for you to take him Think of the invincible, unconquerable, unwearying patience of Jesus. Come unto me. Now, I can try to dig it up and expose it and talk to you, and every once in a while I get dirty looks. You can't say that. Who do you think you are? I'm someone that's supposed to be warning you out of my own experience and out of the Scripture and tell you, if you lock it up with him, you're going to be shut down. You can play the game, you can come to church, you can go through the motions, you can even read your Bible and say some prayers every day. But the Holy Spirit, in a moment like this, and in a process like this, comes along and says, okay, he's talking about it, and I've been talking about it, and I'm going to whisper it one more time. you got to come to me. you got to listen to me. What is it you have locked down on, and God has said, do it, and you say no. Deal with it, and you say no. Then here's how I believe it works. You are going to die at that place of growth in your life, and the rest is just an act. Your spiritual maturity is stunted, it's over. You may say some nice things, you may quote some scripture, you may go off and be a missionary somewhere, but you're not gonna be growing spiritually. You have shut down because you have locked horns with the God of the universe and said, no. Before Richard comes back to wrap things up for us today, I'd like to share a couple important things with you. Let me encourage you to take a minute and check out our website, richardellistalks.com. You'll find today's talk right there in the talks page, along with all of Richard's messages. You can even forward them to a friend so they can hear them too. You'll also find the prayer wall to add your prayer requests, a link to connect with us, the contribute page for you to be able to give to this ministry, a radio station finder, all our social media links, and much more. So check it out richardellistalks.com 
And Richard's back now to wrap up today's talk. Now, here's my question. If you were to say for once in your life, again or for the first time, okay, God, you know what? I'm done. Holy Spirit, get the what they call a grubbing hoe. Get the grubbing hoe out or the caterpillar or whatever you got to use. Stick it in the ground of my life and drag it through. I want this stuff gone. I do not want to die this way. I don't want to lock up with you. Whatever's got to go, it's all yours. And whatever I got to do, it's all yours. Will you allow the Holy Spirit of God to move through your life and to not just clip some flowers anymore, but to dig it up by the roots and get it out of your life? Now, it's easy to say these things, and it's not so easy to do, but the book says the way of the sinner is hard. And if you've locked up with the God of the universe, let me tell you something, it's going to be a hard road. But when you repent, when you come to him for mercy, you'd be amazed what he can do and how the joy comes back and the peace comes back and the desire to love him and obey him and trust him and walk with him. There's nothing like that, no matter how hard it gets. The book says it's better to suffer for doing the right thing than the wrong thing. Either way, you're going to suffer. But for God's sake, your sake, everybody's sake, let's suffer for doing the right thing, not the wrong thing. This has been Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. There's only one reason we do this program, to take the planet with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our message and our mission. And you have a vital part of doing that along with us. If you've been encouraged by these talks with Richard, be sure to share with someone about the change they've made in your life. And we'd love to hear your story as to how the talks have made a difference to you. Give us a call. We'd love to talk with you. 855-6-RICHARD. You can also reach us through our website, richardellistalks.com. And while you're there, check out all the fun and informative pages we put together for you, richardellistalks.com. While you're there, be sure to click on the Contribute tab at the top to send your generous gift. If the program is making a difference to you, your gift will make a big difference to us. Until next time, thanks so much for listening to Richard Ellis Talks. Richard Ellis Talks.